Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. For the win. The snap, the put down, the swing of the right leg. Yeah, baby. It's on its way. Yeah, it is yeah. good. Yeah. Off the nails. Robbie Gold has it away, and it is good. Robbie Gold has kicked the 49ers to victory here in Green Bay. Matt Gay hits it with the right foot. Kick on its way. It is through. It is good. Matt Gay brings it home. Mahomes looks to throw it. Pump faking right side. He wants it. A comeback cut. It is caught by Kelsey. Touchdown, Kansas City. And the Chiefs have won in overtime. Absolutely an amazing weekend of football. I mean, just incredible. How many Kansas City fans succumbed to heart attacks during that game? My uh, my friend Rusty said five. Five heart attacks. <laughs> in his household. And he gets animated. He was in my hospital room a couple weeks back during a regular season and Chiefs game, and he was on his feet <laughs> regularly. <laughs> Good bedside matter. <laughs> you know, I could I could bore you with descriptions of all the games because I watched them all. Uh, I, I will tell you this. it's it, it, Football's hard. Hard to describe in that a great defense will make a great offense look inept. That's the point. The Rams, for instance, of Los Angeles, looked like they were just going to flog Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Playing great. And then Brady did what Brady does. And the Rams might have helped him out a little bit, coughing up the ball. All of a sudden, it's a tie game. Uh, Rams have to win with a last-second field goal. The Niners looked like they were setting new levels of incompetence on the frozen tundra of Green Bay that actually has heaters under the field so it never freezes. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, they won somehow. What just happened? Just craziness. So in the AFC Championship game, the uh, Chiefs are a a 7.5-point Favorite over the Bengals. I think they will crush them, but um, Bengals are a good team. Uh, but I'm trying to find the Rams 49ers line. So, one of the interesting aspects of this game, of course, is you know, both California teams and all that sort of stuff. But the most recent game, just what two weeks ago, there were more 49ers fans in the stadium than Rams fans. And once again, it's in Los Angeles. And so the uh, the 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 Rams, LA is trying to uh, find a way to not sell tickets to out of well to non-local buyers. They're trying to avoid having more 49ers fans in the stadium than there would be Rams fans. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Yeah, the uh, the Niners, I believe, have beaten the Rams the last two times they've played. Six times. Six times. Wow. Well, okay. I just I was going to talk about this season. That is notable, I guess, although there's so much player turnover. I, I don't look back. But uh, the old sports cliche is it's tough to beat a team three times in a row. Who knows? I'll be wagering uh, heavily, Rams heavily. three Rams three and a half point favorites over the 49ers, according to CBS. Um, uh, so what was I going to say? I had something to say. No cow, so cow. It's a right. It'll be a war. That's what you always say. And they're trying to stop people from buying the tickets. Oh, um, has that ever happened before? Where you got, where you got in, in, at this level? I mean, you get to the championship game and you got more fans from the other team in your home stadium. I don't remember that ever happening. 
Not at this to... level. Regular season, yeah, you'll get more Yankees fans or Red Sox fans at a you know an, an average team somewhere. But usually when you get up to the best teams, they have a fan base that will show up to their games. Well, it's L.A. L.A. has a unique relationship with professional sports, the, the Lakers being the exception. I'm getting my lips done Sunday. I can't go to the game. Exactly. Exactly. It's one of the things you can do in I've, L.A. I've what are you a, in the mood for? i got a high-speed chase to watch on TV. <laughs> right. Right. I'm auditioning for the new season of Ozark. I, I can't <laughs> go to the game. And, of course, it would be crazy if uh, if the Rams get to host the NFC Championship game and then host the Super Bowl, because the Super Bowl's the same place. So. Actually, anyway. honestly, you know, in L.A., the reality is it'll take me 34 hours to get to the stadium and probably 35 to get home. <laughs> so it's a five-day investment of time just to fight traffic to the game and back. So it, why don't we watch the television? It is interesting culturally, and people often say, well, there's so much to do in L.A. Well, there's quite a bit to do in New York City. I don't know if you've ever you know, spent much time bumping around New York. There's a gazillion things to do of the best entertainment in the world all the time. And their sports fans are just insane for all their teams. So I don't know. It's a cultural thing. Jets these days, but your point remains. It's a cultural thing, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. Well, Chicago is one of the great cities on earth. I, you know, I grew up there, so I'm a little proud of it. But uh, and and sports fandom is running through the veins of Chicagoans. Has been for seventy five years. Same with Green Bay, Wisconsin. You could have played bingo or uh, gone to the Piggly Wiggly and got your grocery shopping bowling. (laughs) Gone bowling, but you didn't. You went to the Packers game. Fantastic. Yeah. The NFL is back. They tried to make me sick with politics with that uh, public service announcement. I rolled my eyes. I uttered a, an oath, as they used to say in the uh, Hardy Boys books, at the TV screen, but then went back to enjoying the games. Hey, just one more time, Michael, because I'm going to put out a plea to the listeners. P- play that little clip from the PSA in the NFL game. I'll make $10,000 less than white people with the same skills. If you can figure out where they got that statistic, please text or email us. I'd love to get into that. The NFL has nothing on their website after making that claim to all of the nation. That we're such a racist country that we'll pay a white person just because they're white. $10,000 more than that poor black kid. What? You can't say that without having any annotation of where you got the numbers. Yeah, well, speaking as a white guy, they they slip it in your pocket as you walk out of the interview. That extra $10,000 white bucks bonus. Nice being, job being white. High five. Thanks, brother. Wow, what a yeah. thing to say. I anyway, text line is 415-295-KFTC. Why are we talking to Tim the Lawyer later this hour? The fabulous Tim Sandifer of the Goldwater Foundation is going to be talking to us about a uh, a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals three-judge ruling spanking a Southern California county for closing gun stores during the COVID flap, but leaving all sorts of other stores open. And in fact, making it impossible to buy guns or ammunition and uh, the three judge panel said it's a clear second amendment violation and absolutely spanked the counties and one of the judges in particular spanked the the court as a whole for its rulings which is one of the more interesting aspects of it tim knows all about it we'll talk to him in about 20 minutes so your stock indexes had a bad week last week in fact dow had the worst week since march of 2020 which is when we all found out about covid Dow started the day 700 points down today. S&P entered correction territory. Well, here's the deal with investing if you're new to it. It can't go up 
and set records every day forever. It just can't do that. It, that's not the way it works. Look at some long chart. It doesn't go up always. So. Yep. Yep. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And, you know, the other interesting statistic that really changed the way I look at the, the markets and 401k and, 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 you know, investments and that sort of thing is everybody thinks, you know what, is when it's about to go down, I'm going to sell everything. And then when it's about to go up, I'm going to buy everything. But if you miss the downturn by a day and you miss the upturn by a day, which, by the way, is guaranteed. Pretty much. You'll lose an enormous amount of money oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. versus if you just wrote it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We're all going to write it out. That's that's one of the things we've been saying for years. I don't understand why every radio station and TV station in America gives hour by hour what the Dow is doing numbers. How many of you are buying or selling stocks today? Almost none of you. Almost <laughs> zero. And those of you who are aren't waiting for right. the radio to tell you what's happening in the market. You aren't getting your information from the traffic guy on your local music station. <laughs> right. Which is yeah. hilarious. Anyway, it's just dopey. We got all the stuff Joe mentioned with uh, Tim Sandifer and other stuff on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Biden's been having a rough time. He finally had to give a press conference this week. Did you see that? It went on for two hours. Although the first hour it was just about how kids' bikes didn't used to be so complicated. So I, 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 they're trying to feel good about themselves. It's not easy. They made a video. Did you see this with Tom Hanks narrating? Where Tom Hanks says, we are strong, we are courageous, we are resilient, and this is the land of the brave. Now put that diaper back on your face and go hide inside. <laughs> And then, and then Biden comes on. <laughs> he said, "We have faced so much, and we have what we have done is what America has always done. We have gotten up. That's what I want. A 79-year-old president bragging about getting up. <laughs> America got up, and now we're going to make a cup of Sanka and check the mailbox. All right. <laughs> oh my, unkind. Yeah." I was happy to hear Bill Maher going so hardcore we're overreacting to COVID at this point. So that's good stuff. Here, here. That's pretty funny. You know, that Tom Hanks thing, and I I love Tom Hanks. Everybody loves Tom Hanks. That thing landed about like it should have with a thud and people saying, what the hell was that? (laughs) So Bill Maher went through the the laundry list of uh, Biden can't be president. Kamala Harris can't be president. Nobody wants Hillary to be president. He said the only person Democrats want to be president is Barack Obama. Obama! He can't serve another term, but this is his suggestion. Biden and uh, Obama both dump their wives, get gay married. Biden stays in office. Obama is his first lady and basically runs the country. (laughs) You're blowing my mind. That's what Democrats need, he says. Wow. So uh, during the when I during the weekend I often forget how crazy the world is and then I come back to work and then remember how crazy everything is and just like stuff like I don't think about Stormy Daniels in my <laughs> real life never comes up. Michael Avenatti and Stormy Daniels are about to face off in court. I um, honestly didn't think I'd ever hear that name again no. until she passes. Remember the the the, stri- the stripper porn star Stormy Daniels 
she got ripped off by Michael Avenatti. He was stealing from her as the great champion of women's rights. So she's suing suing him, and she should, because he's a freaking creepo who should spend the rest of his life in jail. But anyway, so they're going to face off, and, and I'm sure there'll be lots of details come out about just how awful the, the both of them are. <laughs> you know, I was thinking back to when cable news was obsessed with Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti for like an eight-month period or whatever it was, and, and we all knew her real name, which just crawled like an amoeba back into my memory. Why do I know her real name? I've got to get it out. Surely I, I can make room for something else in there. And RFK Jr., whose dad has got to be spinning in his grave, slammed for invoking Anne Frank in the anti-vax mandate rally. Oh, you can boy. be anti-vax mandate. I'm anti-vax mandate. Sure. But... uh Saying it was easier for Anne Frank to hide from the Nazis than it is for Americans to escape vaccine mandates. A little over the top. You know, if that line popped into my head uh, for a speech, I would pop it right back out again. That's stupid. Even in Hitler's Germany, you could cross the Alps into Switzerland. You could hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. We can't get away from this regime. He goes on to say... Did he get kicked in the head by a horse or what? That's a terrible reason. He's not done. They're oh, putting, boy. They're putting in 5G to harvest our data and control our behavior. Digital currency that will allow them to punish us from a distance and cut off our food supply. So there you go. Wow. And, and wow. Okay. You know, some of that has some truth, certainly. The more we're online, the more the big tech companies steal our data. I'll grant you that. I was just reading that the Fed is now in the taking public comments section of their plan to enact a cryptocurrency or an electronic currency. The U.S. is going to have like a, I don't know, call it a, a Jefferson or something, something that's entirely electronic. And I was thinking, well, why don't you just use dollars? I mean, dollars, yeah, I transfer money all the time. But it's for people who don't have access to banks or whatever else. You can, the government can just put 20 Jeffersons in their account, which they then can on the internet then order, I don't know, a bunch of N95 masks off Amazon. NFTs. No, don't buy NFTs. (laughs) Unless you don't like money and you want less of it. Buy your NFTs with Bitcoin. Um, I, I barely understand cryptocurrency. I'll be the first to admit it. But I do know this, which make this is what makes me think that it's a good idea. I don't like my niece is huge that this is going to be, you know, revolutionize the world. Uh, one of the reasons cryptocurrency has got to be good is that China banned it and now Putin has banned it. The hmm. fact that Russia and China have both banned cryptocurrency, eh, I still don't know much about it, but eh, I'm guessing, uh, guessing there's, there's something there. All I know about Bitcoin is it takes enormous amounts of energy to mine it. So I don't I spent- know what that means. I spent my weekend panning for it in a local creek. No luck so far, but I'm going back this afternoon. Yeah. I, I, I found some fool's Bitcoin. It's shiny, just like the real Bitcoin, but mm. not real. Mm-mm-mm. So we got a, a couple of minutes left. We're going to talk to Tim Sandifer about a, a big Second Amendment ruling. At least Sarah I think Palin a... has COVID. Sarah what? Palin has COVID. So do I. What the hell do I care? Oh, I'm sorry. That's not a big deal? Okay. <laughs> Well, I, I may. I don't know. Sorry I jumped in with that breaking news. <laughs> Joe Biden. Perhaps you've heard of him. Uh, the Political Morning Consult weekly polling is out. People giving the president letter grades, A, B, C, D, etc. 
comparing it with uh, Donald Trump. The first thing I want to know about this poll is, is it like traditional grades? C is, is average, B is very good work, and A is excellence? Or is it the modern grading, where it's an A, so the student doesn't claim the professor's a racist online if they get a B? <laughs> right, right. 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 <laughs> and, uh, and half the class gets A's, which kind of def- defines average. If half the class gets an A, an A isn't an A. That's the point. Mm. Anyway, like uh, Donald J., more voters gave Biden a failing mark at the end of the uh, quarter of his term than those who were awarded an A or B. 37% surveyed rated Biden's performance as an F. Um, Trump got 35%, so Biden's F total slightly more. That's probably the lowest grade since he got a D on ciphering in the third grade. <laughs> oh, he got pretty good grades when he was at the top of his class in, uh, what, law Syracuse school? Syracuse Law School, right. Business school or something. Uh, 31% gave uh, either an A or a B to the president. Um, which is, I think, slightly more. It's virtually the same. Ah, it's, uh, yeah, 34% A's and B's for Trump. So, uh, yeah, pretty poor. Fan favorite Tim Sandifer on the way to talk about a ruling by a court around guns. You're going to like that. Uh, always good. And if you missed an hour, we should uh, talk to Tim about the football games. I bet he is really excited. I um, bet he wasn't. If you missed an hour of the show, get it at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The IOC deserves all of the disdain and disgust that comes their way for going back to China yet again. They were in Beijing in 2008. They go to Sochi in 2014. They're shameless about this stuff. Wow, that's Bob Costas, who no longer is the face of NBC in the Olympics, saying what is true and speaking his mind. More on the Olympics coming up a little bit later in the show. I still can't believe it's actually happening. Yeah, I read a terrific editorial, which we'll get to uh, in that context about how uh, if you are involved with promoting the Olympics at this point, you are an apologist for genocide, which is a strong stuff. I'd say. I think they make a pretty good case. Speaking of pretty good cases, here's a guy who knows one, Tim the Lawyer Sandifer. Tim's the vice president for litigation for the Goldwater Institute, longtime friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, and uh, one of the great explainers of the complex that we have ever run into. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. Who do you like in the uh, Bengals-Rams matchup? I heard there was some football game yesterday. There were yeah. several. <laughs> you're, you're famously, uh, for our listeners, not a sports fan, but you do uh, you do have the same sentiments about the Olympics, that it's crazy that it's happening, I know. It's it's crazy and it's it's immoral that uh, that the United States would would have anything to do with an, an institution that has become a favorite playground for totalitarian dictatorships. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So uh, there was news last week about a significant Second Amendment decision. I will let you lay it out because you can do it better than me. Um, And then if you're not a big fan of litigation, you might be interested to hear that one of the judges laid a verbal whooping down on on the court as a whole. At least that's the way I read it. But uh, Tim, what are the basics first? 
Yeah, that's right. That that was really spectacular. So this is a case uh, from California. Uh, it was decided by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on the question of whether the COVID shutdowns of gun stores violated the Second Amendment. So the uh, Ventura County. Yes, it did. Is there any other discussion? Or <laughs> yeah, that, and that is what the what the court says. Uh, remarkably enough, so the, the Ventura County imposed these these shutdowns of various businesses, and it, it, it they were kind of discriminatory. They allowed, for example, bike stores to remain open, wow. but then shut down but shut down gun stores. Now I'll I'll add a footnote here to say that the Arizona constant or the Arizona law is different from California in this, and that Arizona law expressly forbids the shutting down of a gun store under circumstances like this, because we take our, our uh, Second Amendment rights very seriously in my home state. But in California, they don't. And so uh, the question that the court a- addressed was whether that violated the Second Amendment. The court said yes. But what was really remarkable was that one of the judges, Judge Van Dyke, wrote a separate opinion where he said, look, I expect that I'm going to be overruled on this by my other uh, fellow judges on the Ninth Circuit. And here's what they're going to say, and here's why it's wrong. And it's really quite quite a, 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 a an angry, sarcastic opinion. Ooh, wait a minute. Uh, angry sarcasm. Now you're working my side of the street. Uh, can you give us uh, some of the basics of what he said to his brethren? So what happens is when the, when the Court of Appeals decides a case, it's three judges who hear an appeal and they decide that appeal. And then if you're one of if you lost that appeal, you can ask for what they call on bank rehearing, which is where all of the judges on the circuit will review the case and hear it all over again and correct the three judge panel if they think they were wrong. And so what Judge Van Dyke said is, I expect that that's what's going to happen to me because I've enforced the Second Amendment and I know that my fellow judges on the Ninth Circuit don't take the Second Amendment seriously. So I expect that they're going to overrule me. And here's what they're going to say. And he wrote a fake opinion uh, that was like a draft of what he expects they will say when they overrule him. And the reason he did that was to show that the Ninth Circuit's precedent when it comes to the Second Amendment, is so vague, so meaningless, so malleable, that it can basically come up with any conclusion you want, and so that the odds are stacked against people who want to exercise their constitutional right to defend themselves. So he wrote this fake opinion. He said, here's what they're going to say, and then he added footnotes in the opinion that says, so, he, you know, these, the, we use these words as if they say mean something, but they actually don't. We're just making this stuff up as we go along. And it, it's written in this very sarcastic tone that is, is quite refreshing for those of us who agree with him that the Ninth Circuit does not take Second Amendment rights seriously. Well, my understanding of his blast was saying that the Ninth Circuit decides case by case, hmm, in this case, the Second Amendment is okay. In this case, I don't like it, and it doesn't yield the result I would like. And so, no, no, you don't get the results in this case. Treating it like it's not a constitutional right at all, but like, I don't know, watching football. It's a hobby. That's a <laughs> yeah. So for here's a good example. So he goes through in his fake opinion that he expects his just his, his fellow judges to issue. He he lists uh, the history of the we consult the history of the amendment, and then he adds a footnote. He says in the footnote, "Here's the deal. Whenever we think the history helps us in upholding the challenge regulation of gun rights, we're happy to rely on it in step one of our test. But most of the time, either the history doesn't help us to uphold the gun regulation, or it's indeterminate, or it's just hard to evaluate. So we usually skip over." this step of our test by assuming that the regulation burdens Second Amendment conduct, but that's okay because the real beauty of our test is its amazing flexibility at the various stages in balancing the government's asserted interest against the claimed impact on the Second Amendment. So, in other words, although we 
we often say that we care about history. The reality is that we only use the history when it allows us to take away your gun rights, and then if not, we ignore it. Which wow. is true. He's just not not usually supposed to say that in public. Is the thing. <laughs> how how long were the gun stores actually closed? Uh, it was a couple. It was several weeks, if I remember right. Yeah, but I, right. Yeah, I think it was exactly. forty eight days. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So on and, and during a time when we know that not only was COVID going on, but violent riots in major cities across the United States. Yeah. Gosh, maybe people would want to have a firearm to defend themselves, but no, we can't allow that. The, yeah, that we we're talking about that last week. That's what's even makes it so much more outlandish is at a time where crime is spiking and it's one of the top issues in America, and there were riots everywhere, and your local target was being looted. Coincident with the authorities making it clear we are not going to intercede in this violence. Yeah, while defunding the police, they closed gun stores. That's amazing. And as the as the uh, as the saying has it, when the cops are minutes or when seconds count, the cops are minutes away. It's Indeed. amazing a number of places in the country where uh, you know either churches were closed, violating the First Amendment, or gun stores were closed, violating the Second Amendment. And uh, overturned by courts eventually, I think but, in almost every case. But you could case. eat ice cream until you were in a coma. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah for whatever reason. Ice Tim, cream Tim Sandifer, the vice president for litigation for the Goldwater Institute, is on the line. It's almost hard to understand you because you're so hoarse from cheering your hometown Rams to victory over the weekend. <laughs> I, I was really excited. Uh, you know, I just can't sleep unless I know what group through what ball through what apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> well said. So, <clears throat> as long as we are honored with your presence today, Tim, what else are you guys working on at the Goldwater Institute that might be of interest to the peeps? We are waiting for the Supreme Court to decide whether to take uh, a major challenge to the Indian Child Welfare Act. This is a law I've talked on your show about a, a number of times, a federal law that essentially bars states from protecting abused and neglected children if those children are eligible for membership in an Indian tribe. So a white or a black or a Hispanic child who's being abused or neglected, the state can come in and and rescue that child from the abusive family. But if the child is biologically eligible for a membership in an Indian tribe, the state basically can't do that. And federal law basically prohibits them from being adopted by adults of other races. It's a really scandalous and disgraceful oh. law that imposes literal separate but equal on really these on Indian children who are the most at risk demographic in the United States. So the Supreme Court has been asked to take up whether that's constitutional or not, and they keep postponing that decision. So <laughs> I was hoping that this morning they would announce whether they were going to hear that case, and it turns out we'll have to wait at least another week. But so, that's what we're really keeping an eye on. Yeah, that's a good one, and keep us updated on that. Is it a big deal that the Supreme Court announced today that they're going to take up the case on uh, racial preferences for universities, and, and will that uh, get into the whole affirmative action thing in general? Absolutely. That is a huge deal. Uh, you know, the, uh, that's the lawsuit against Harvard, which has been excluding Asians in order to promote other races. And that case has been you know, rejected by the lower courts. But I think the Supreme Court is going to take that a lot more seriously. Another case that was that the Supreme Court announced today that it will take is a case that's being litigated by our friends at the Pacific Legal Foundation, which is called Sackett versus Environmental Protection Agency. Now, what's really amazing is this case is more than a decade old. The Supreme Court has has already decided one aspect of this case 10 years ago, and now it's back again. And this case involves 
the the federal government's uh, authority to regulate what they call wetlands. That's the Clean Water Act, which allows the federal government to regulate not just water, but land that occasionally gets wet. And the, in this case, these property owners tried to build a house on perfectly dry land that the federal government said was uh, a wetland. And the first time around, they just wanted to get a hearing in court. The Supreme Court said, yes, you get a hearing in court. And now they're back again at the conclusion of that hearing to ask whether, what limits are there on the federal government's power to regulate land that it claims is a wetland. Yeah, I know that that I remember that case vividly and and some of the particulars of it were enough to make you insane these poor people it's a, it's a lot in a, cul- uh, in a, uh, a subdivision erroneously That's described right. as a wetland and they just there was nobody to talk to, to so they just kept finding them and finding them. And federal federal power under federal environmental laws, it, people think of it as like protecting the animals and Bambi and, and all this sort of thing. But what federal power under the environmental laws really is, is basically federal zoning. It basically allows federal bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. to decide what gets built in what neighborhood when, as long as they can come up with some vague notion of federal authority. And their vague notion is, well, this land is a wetland. What is a wetland? It's basically whatever the federal government says it is. Or when it comes to the environment, the, uh, the, the Endangered Species Act, if there's an endangered bug or an endangered fern on your property, now it falls under federal authority and federal bureaucrats get to decide basically at will what you are and aren't allowed to do with that property. It's something the Constitution does not contemplate at all, and yet that's basically the law that we live under today. Hey, uh, a general question, and you know, if you want to take a pass on it, you can, because I don't want to get you in any sort of trouble. But and now, now, take a pass. That's a football reference, right? <laughs> nah, generally you throw one. You don't take oh, one. But that's uh, close. Yeah, you have expressed that the only thing... <laughs> That throwing bothered, a ball through an apparatus. The only thing that bothers you at all about the fact that you don't follow sports at all is you miss out on some references that are regularly used, you know, in court, for instance. Yes, which <laughs> right. I can understand. So, again, I'm trying to remember the name, and it's out of my head right now. Uh, a libertarian guy with Cato, I think, wrote a column recently on how originally, even as a libertarian, he thought the government was fine getting involved in all kinds of things that he usually didn't like because of the unique circumstance of the COVID pandemic. But in retrospect, he looks back on it and thinks, nah, we'd have been better off if they hadn't in the long run. Uh, where are you on it? Because I know in the beginning you were, you were also making the argument, as a guy who doesn't like a lot of government control, that this is a unique situation. Do you think maybe the, 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 where we've ended up, do you well, feel any differently now? I have, I I don't, but remember that that I have a different situation than a lot of people because I live in Arizona. We didn't have a big statewide shutdown in Arizona like a lot of other states did. I thought shutdowns were a bad idea to begin with, but other kinds of regulations, restri- you know, uh, for example, uh, if employers want to require their employees to be vaccinated or something like that, that's perfectly sure. consistent with libertarian principles. Nothing wrong with that. So it depends on what kind of restriction or regulation you're talking about. I think for the most part. Typically, the government has a role in in setting basic safety standards, and if that means requiring greater safety standards in the time of pandemic than otherwise, I'm okay with that in principle. Whether they actually work or not is a different question, and the answer is probably What about the businesses can't be closed down? I know it didn't do in Arizona, but it just seems in retrospect now... You know, people would have made the decision on their own to not go the, to, exactly. the, to the barbershop, yeah, yeah. and maybe the barbershop would have closed down because they didn't have enough business to stay open. But and, that seems like a better we way. we know that that's true. We know that's true because in a lot of places, when the, when the shutdowns were lifted, 
the businesses did not go back to full. People still didn't come to the businesses because a lot of people were choosing on their own to stay home rather than go to the business. And that's perfectly legitimate. And the businesses then have a pressure to come up with safer ways to operate, which is how the market ought to work. So in the long run, yes, I don't think that those kinds of, of government interference were very effective and they, they probably transgressed libertarian principles to innovate not regulate final thought for me very briefly tim someday we ought to have a talk about how uh, you know the the realities of an equity society where the government picks winners and losers assigns rights based on historical wrongs the rest of it what that would actually look at it that look like at the legislative level the lobbyist level that sort of thing but we're totally out of time tim sandifer vice president for litigation goldwater institute tim thanks a million always a pleasure thanks guys uh, we got more on the way. Stay with us. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. In a new interview, Bono reveals that he never liked the name U2, adding, I also kind of hate Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) That's an odd joke. I really like the stuff. Did you see the three guys who bought a boat? Uh, who just bought a bot. I thought that was freaking fantastic. And that came out of the story that Colin Jost and Pete Davidson of Saturday Night Live bought a, um, a ferry, a Staten Island ferry last week. They they went in together what? and bought a Staten Island ferry. It's wow. an old ferry that's no longer in service, but they're going to turn it into a comedy club. Um, <laughs> as Pete Davidson said, the windowless van of the seas. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> You know, their their opening was so off. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't get yeah, past it. The yeah. entire uh, opening was essentially repeating over and over again: conservatives are evil and stupid. Mm-hmm. Here's a different conservative that's evil and stupid. Here's a di- another yeah. one who's evil and stupid. Yeah, I certainly can understand those of you, and there's a lot of you who can't get past that to enjoy the non-political stuff. I I just. Roll my eyes at the political stuff and then watch the non-political stuff, which is often freaking hilarious. But, yeah, I can understand why you'd be butthurt enough to not want to support any of it. Because it's just so over the top. Well, it's so lazy. Here's a bunch of mean racists, which are all Republicans. It is lazy. Yeah. Hey, uh, Kate McKinnon, you're brilliant. Do Joy Reid. Or maybe get, you know, one of the black gals to do Joy Reid. Do uh do Mika Brzezinski do all those people because they're Fruit Loops? Yeah. Do AOC defunding the police, which nobody in freaking America agrees with. But you're not gonna make fun of her. Nope. I want to talk about taking my son to the museum, but I'm gonna need uh need a little more time at some point. Um, Modern Art Museum, San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, which is one of the greatest modern art museums in the world. I think modern art is for the most part, stupid. And uh, and and uh, I can't tell if it's an on-purpose joke on humanity or they actually think they're doing something. <laughs> you think they're laughing at us behind, like, those those one-way mirrors? <laughs> well, I think I think Andy Warhol was. And, um, yes. and I think he knew exactly what he was doing. But all these people who, who... I don't know. So I got a picture of my son here in my phone of him standing in front of a giant, like, 10-foot by 5-foot canvas that's just painted all white. That's all it is. It's just all white. And then and then it's from 1951, Joe. 
Um, I'll read to you what it says here about it. Rauschenberg's aim in creating his all-white paintings was to make works that look pure and untouched by human hands. Each of the five iterations of the series feature a different number of panels and is painted in precisely the same flat shade of white. Hmm. Okay. Okay, so you painted a giant panel white. That's all you did. And then, this is the part that I really enjoyed. Um, The biggest supporter of these works was the composer John Cage, who I don't know. Ah, I do. Who referred to them as airports for light, shadow, and particles. Noting the way in which they responded, blah, 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 and and it influenced this composer to write a soundless musical composition, which he made in 1962, debuting a, a year later. Why did why did it take you a year to make your soundless music composition? I think I can have mine ready by this afternoon. <laughs> well, I couldn't decide, uh, you know, if I should have the trombones rest at the beginning or at the end. So a composer sees this big, giant, all it is is white thing and thinks to himself, I'm going to make a soundless uh, piece of uh, music art. Right. And it was silence. Mm-hmm. And so... Did, <sighs> Well, he had to experiment. Do I want, like, six cellos not playing, or is that not enough? Do I need eight cellos not playing? I mean, what is this? He tried one, then the other kept going back and forth. You telling me they're not laughing at us? Do I have the melody that's not played go, or should it be more ascending? I mean, which one? Modern art is stupid. Hitler and I agree on that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That'll be taken out of context. If you... If you miss an hour of the show, get the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.